You're listening to The Currency Welcome. I'm your host, Mike Gaston. I'm a brand and marketing strategist, and this podcast is all about the power of private industry in America. Today, I am down in Vandegrift, Pennsylvania, at the facilities of Uncle Charlie's Sausage, and I'm joined by president and owner of Uncle Charlie's, Len Carrick. Len, welcome to The Currency. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. We talked about this for a little while. I, I interviewed uh, Steve Jurjevitz, mm-hmm. I want to say late last year, maybe in October, November. I don't remember exactly when. And as you know, he's a private equity guy and there's a lot of, a lot of uh, companies in their portfolio. And I said, hey, Steve, who do you think I should interview? And you were, he said, you got to talk to Len Carrick. He's got such a great story. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really happy to, to be with you today. Tell us a little bit about Uncle Charlie's. What does Uncle Charlie's do? What's it known for? Sure. Thanks. Uh, Uncle Charlie's is a regional brand of sausage. We stretch out about between 150 and 200 miles from Pittsburgh. Uh, it was started by Uncle Charlie, a guy named Charlie Armitage. Charlie was in a lot of different things uh, all through his life. And, and right before the sausage business, he was selling spices. Okay. And you'd have to, he'd have to know Charlie to really understand this, but he, you know, he was just cranky that nobody could make good sausage. Even though he was selling them spices, he just didn't think there was a good sausage okay. out there. And at that time, you know, this is back in 19, late eighties. Uh, he started a business in 1988, but this is in the eighties when there, there were a lot of sausage companies. Okay. I mean, there were in Western Pennsylvania. I mean, we're like sausage central. Uh, just to give you a small tidbit, uh, we were dealing with one of the major retailers, uh, which Sam's Club. Uh, and and they told us that you know when they look at their clubs, if they look at the demogra- if they look at the uh, number of members per area or something like that, you know Pittsburgh has the most uh, has the highest level of sausage buyers per capita per capita yeah. or whatever yeah. per members or something like that. Wow! So, but it was just it was striking, you know, to, to us to say, wow. So, is that so, the German roots? I don't mean to interrupt you. Is that the German roots? Is it the Steelers? What drives? Well, that? <laughs> it's, it's sort of all of the above. So, Western Pennsylvania is, uh, you know, it was a heavy steel industry back in the Industrial Revolution. A lot of immigrants came here: Eastern Europeans, uh, Italians, Germans. So there was this, you know, this bunch of people showed up. Uh, all with sausage heritage, if you will. And so, you know, we had a lot of independent sausage makers around here. Now, unfortunately, a lot of them, maybe fortunately for us, a lot have gone away. Um, so, but, but Uncle Charlie's has stuck, has stuck. And so, uh, at the time, he felt nobody was doing it right. He could do better. So, he started this business in 1988. Um, it was down the road at the time. It was an old uh, gas station garage type of building. I think I passed it on the way here. It's a big white block, <laughs> yes. cinder block, and it's got this old fading Uncle Charlie's painted on the side. Yes, fortunately, side. we still get the graphic uh, on it. It's fantastic. Giant it's right on the there, river. Yeah. Right on a river, so people see it. And fortunately, people... Don't stop there looking for us, which is good. I don't. I, I'm, I think it's some sort of a painting business or something. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Uh, he moved into this facility in 1999, uh, built it from the ground up, and he did a great job. I mean, I've been. You know, sausage is an old business. Uh, most of my uh, peers in the industry are third generation, fourth generation. They're happy to say it's 100 years, 80 years, all of that. So when you visit their sites, it, it's everything is cut up. You know, they added on, added on, added on. Ah. So they're pushing stuff around. Charlie did it right. He, he the business was growing. He decided he got to move rather than add on. I don't think he could have added on down there. And he built 
you know, lines that run straight. You know, there's no cut-up stuff. So he did a very good job in, in, in that part. Uh, the recipe has been, we've kept it the same as what he started with. Uh, we have a, a tremendous following. You know, you mentioned in the intro uh, a personality. Charlie certainly had a personality. It's funny. People still refer to his – people still tell me they see our commercials. Our, the commercials Charlie did haven't been on probably for 20 years. <laughs> but people remember that. Okay. But they're sure they're still seeing They're them. sure they're still seeing them. Yeah. And, and I think they are on YouTube. But they're not going on YouTube. But they'll say, hey, I, re, I, you know, I see your commercials. I remember you. Or maybe they'll say, I remember your commercials. But really, they haven't been on for a long, long time. Okay. But, he um, he did a good job, and and uh, if I can, because you're a marketing person, he told me that the one that everybody remembers is there's a char- actually Charlie at a grill cooking sausage. You don't really see him; you just see the you know, lower part of him in the grill. And there's little Jimmy. Okay. And little Jimmy is just sitting there saying, "Uncle Charlie, Uncle Charlie, Uncle Charlie, Uncle Charlie." And he told me when he did it, the idea was just to reinforce the name over and over and over and over again. And that's what people remember. Yeah. They say, I remember that little Jimmy saying, they remember his name. I remember him saying, Uncle Charlie, Uncle Charlie, Uncle Charlie. And it just was memorable, but it stuck. And here's a guy who at one time was driving uh, heavy-duty equipment in the coal, in a strip mining operation i mean he did all these different things but back to the story so in 19 when he's 59 years old back in 1988 he started uncle charles we started at 59 yes that's phenomenal you know i not that this is about my my biography here i'm 52 and uh, i've thought about you know where am i at my career and you know do am i too old to take on something bigger and i'm always inspired by guys who are guys and gals who you know 50 59 63 just say hey I'm going to jump in the deep yeah. end. And he did it. Yes, he did. He jumped wow. into the deep end and, and was very successful. So so what happened in the story is 1950, or I'm sorry, he's 59 years old. It's 1988. He starts the business um, and it starts to grow. And he, um, his son comes into the business, did some selling to restaurants and things like that. And eventually his son took over the operations of the okay. business. Now, Charlie um, still came to work every day. Um, he, even though his son was basically running it, uh, sure. Charlie was here. He kept his office. His wife, Franny came to work with him every day. Just, I mean, it was a true family business. It was, you know, Franny and Charlie in one office and Chaz down the hall in another. And eventually, uh, you know, like I said, Chaz took the business over and okay. this is around 2000, maybe 2007, 2008. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, in, in late 2011, Chaz was killed in a uh, plane crash. Yeah, it's terrible. I saw on the website. I didn't know the details, but yeah, it was it was a very very. I, I mean, there's a lot of details about the whole thing that are just too sad. Was it a private aircraft? Yes. Or, yeah. It was a private plane, um, and uh, unfortunately, you know, the plane went down. They they couldn't find the plane for like four mm. or five days. Mm. So there was always this hope. So Charlie, you know, he goes through this. He loses, you know, he loses his son, which you know, to to a parent, I mean, that's like the worst thing you could ever have exactly. happen to you. He loses his business partner. Um, you know, they have this time where there's some hope, but you know, it doesn't work out. And so uh, he he decides that he's he's going to do his best to pull things together. He had a couple of people here that ran sales and operations and things like that to relied on after about a year he just figured he couldn't do this anymore mm-hmm. 
So he decided that he would sell the business. Uh, so we bought the business. Uh, I have a partner, Jim Rudolph. Uh, we bought the business in January of 2014. Wow. So congratulations. It's your uh, six-year anniversary? Yes. Yes. Wow. Uh, January 27th will be our six-year anniversary. All right. Anniversary. Just a couple weeks? Yep. Wow. Yep. How did you find the business? Uh, I had a friend of mine contact me. Uh, he was uh, in, in the private equity business, and he said, do you think you and Jim uh, would want to take a run at Uncle Charlie's? Now, Jim Rudolph and I had a business before that we sold in 2007. Uh, we both went off and did other things and stayed in touch, and we were always looking for something. And so uh, anytime somebody says to me, do you want to take a look at something? I say, sure. Yeah. <laughs> why wouldn't and I, right? Why not? Yeah. You know, I mean, you never know. Unless it's multi-level marketing. Well, then, yeah. there you go. Now, <laughs> you're exactly right. So, yeah. We've all been there at least we've, once. We've yeah. all been at that table one time when we've been asked if we're earning all the right money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, do we have the right car and all that stuff? So anyways, um, so we said, sure. You know, so we took a look at it and... Um, we went through the process. It took about maybe eight to 10 months. Um, but really what it came down to, we were, we were, you know, the final was between us and a strategic buyer. Now, normally you want to sell to a strategic, they usually pay more, you know, yeah. they're the ones that can consolidate or do things efficient, et cetera, as opposed to two guys uh, that were in a meat business. But um, Charlie uh, being a local guy, you know, he really wanted, somebody local to have it. Uh, the company that we were battling against in the end was outside the area. Sure. Uh, he, uh, of course, had the normal concerns. They'd close the plant down, ship in from outside the area, destroy the brand, et cetera, et cetera. So he really was pulling for us. But at the same time, you know, money is still <laughs> yeah, is important. You know, yeah. I always say when, when people are, are selling businesses, they always say it's not about the money, but in the end, it's about the money. Okay, I mean, so fair enough. Yeah. That. So, so we ended up. We were successful, and we closed on the business in in January of 2014. How long did that process go? The uh, the negotiation, the acquisition. Yeah. So we we first heard about it uh, in March of the previous year. Okay. So uh, almost a year. Yeah, almost a year. And then by June, I think is when everything you know came out to everybody, and then the process really started from June through okay. December. We we were uh, by the end of December, we had everything kind of buttoned up. Okay. Uh, it was just a matter of getting to a close. I just ask because often with privately owned companies, small or family oriented, that, that could be a two year negotiation. Oh yeah. Whereas uh, you know a, a behemoth company can roll up, you know, a half a billion dollar organization in three months, you know, yeah, I'm exaggerating. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, I think there's more emotion in it. Sure. Um, you know, it's, um, uh, it, it, you know, and, and I remember I got to know Charlie pretty well through the process. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, you know, I really wanted to, I, he, he was a great guy. Is and, he still alive or has he passed away? No, unfortunately he passed away a few okay. years ago. Okay. And, um, it was, uh, you know, I had lunch with him. We, we had the deal done. It was the end of December. Uh, and I think it might have been around the New Year holiday or between Christmas and New Year's. He and I went out to lunch. And, um, and, and he was a different Charlie. Charlie was a pretty jovial, big personality. And this day he was kind of down. And so when I uh, met with him, I said, Charlie, I said, you seem a little down today. And he, he, you know, he just like, he said, you know, Len, he said, uh, I'm losing my business. And he said, and this morning I had to put Franny in uh, a dementia center. Oh, boy. And so this, you know, this poor guy had been through, he lost his son, you know, and then he goes through through this. But um, but Charlie was a good seller. And what I mean by that is, 
once we bought the business, he said, it's yours. Mm-hmm. And I would ask him for suggestions or if we were bringing out a new product or I'll talk about the label in a minute. Um, you know, I would always say, Charlie, what do you think? And he'd say, hey, it's your business. It's not mine. You do with it what you think is right. And I know a lot of people that have bought and sold businesses, and you rarely find an owner who says that. I mean, they usually, if they're around, they got an opinion. And they let you know one way or the other. Exactly. Yeah. They let you know if it's a great idea or if it's a really stupid idea. And if it's your idea, it's usually a very stupid idea. Yeah. So, yeah. In, in, but he did that through the whole time. So it was great. And the the nice, I guess, sort of the, um, the end piece to, to the Charlie story is that uh, up until – until he got sick, and I would say maybe three or four months before he passed away, you know, I, I met him for lunch maybe every other week. Wow. And and, and we didn't talk. We talked. He, he was curious about the industry, but he really didn't ask, you know, how are revenues or, you know, what's uh, – he didn't ask any of that. We just talked. Is Sally still at the company? And yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it wasn't – he just was um, – we just – we were like friends at that point. We just wow. talked about, you know, family, his – you know, if he was taking a trip or, you know, what I was doing or something like that. And we talk a little bit about business, but nothing – nothing to interfere, uh, which was very – I very much appreciated that. That's really mature. Yes. That's a good way to put it. It's very mature. And you don't see that. I no, mean, you, you don't. You usually don't. don't see that at all. So. Well, especially, you know, look, if, uh, again, if you're in a kind of a larger corporate environment, maybe you're not as emotionally attached. But when you're, uh, when it's your family business that has your name, his face is on the logo, The you know, right. And then uh, to lose his son through the whole thing. I mean, he, how could he detach those personal feelings from the company, even after selling it? So that that... I'm just impressed by that. Very yeah, impressive. I was very impressed with it. And I think your 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 comment that it was very mature, that is a the perfect way to to state it. Hmm. You know, it, it was he handled it like it was a big sure. company that, you know, was just, you know, gone, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. And yeah. It was all business, I guess, yeah. maybe to him. Well, and uh, maybe he understood. I I mean I don't I've never met Charlie. Maybe he understood how hard it is to be in the driver's seat. And respected the responsibility on your shoulders and, and thought, even if I have opinions, it's not fair. I, I, you know, I think anybody that's been in a leadership position, you don't have to be an owner, but even just a leader, you realize that everybody's got an opinion on how you should do what oh you're, boy, you're yes. doing. <laughs> and and you understand it. And you and you even know, like, sometimes I, I've been in positions where I'm leading and I know people have opinions and I even know I'm probably not doing this right. But what else am I supposed to do, you know? So maybe being in that position made him sensitive to your situation and thought, I'm just going to support this guy and, and be a friend to him. That, that, that could be it. I mean, we, I sold a business, Jim and I sold a business in 2007, and we were acquired by a strategic. It was our largest customer. And uh, I had gotten to know the CEO very well. This is a $2 billion company. Okay. And, um, you know, he said, well, Len, I want you to come work with us and all that. And I'm like, you know... You, you don't want me there, and, and I don't want to be there. So, <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, and he said to me, he said, well, uh, he said, but I, I would like you to do something else within the company. And I said, that's fine. So I ended up, I, I got into corporate development, which was buying businesses. And in uh, the, the company was headquartered out east near Philadelphia. We're in, near Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to move to Philadelphia. He said, that's okay. He said, you could work out of the same, your same office at the plant. And I said, no, I'm not. I said, because either I'm going to walk around and make suggestions or people are going to come to me and ask me opinions. And I just, we, we don't, you don't want to do that. I don't want to do it's that. It's not fair. It's yeah. not. I said, you know, you're a large corporation. You're going to have a certain structure. 
you know, this was entrepreneurial and a small business to me. I'm going to have a different way of running it. So I ended up, I worked out of my house and everybody was happy. Nice. So tell me a little bit about your background. I, wa- I do want to get into this experience of taking on, you know, this larger than life personality and, and clearly the business is doing well, but tell me a little bit about your background. You've alluded to, or you've mentioned that you, you know, sold a company. What's your career looked like over the years? So uh, I'll, I'll do this quick. Okay. okay. Uh, because we won't I, set a timer. But, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> but I, sometimes you can go off. You know? But um, now I was very, 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 very fortunate at a very young age to know what I wanted to do, wow. and that was to have my own company. Okay. And this is, uh, you know, I had, I, you know, I might, you may remember, I don't know, but some people in your audience might remember Paper Boys. I was a paper. Boy. Oh yeah. I, I you know, yeah. delivered papers before that. I, I had the. Tradition. I was the lowest of the Paper Boys. I delivered oh, you, penny savers at one point, oh. or the shopper, which was. Was not the big paper. That was just the little. You hang them on the apartment door. Yeah, we door. would have. We would have probably looked down at you. You would have beat me yeah. up. I think that's. Yeah, a, I don't know about beating you up, but we'd have probably made fun of you. Yeah. you I were probably deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> we were, no. I was the Pittsburgh Press. I mean, I was you, the number oh, one yeah. Yeah, paper in 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 the area. Steel Town. Yes. Um, so I did that. I had, you know, I did Kool-Aid stands. Um, you know, I was always doing stuff like that. And, and, uh, just real quick, I have to, you know, I have an older brother, he's five years older than me and he was a marketing major in school. And I decided that when I was going to school, I was going to be a marketing major. And he said, no, he said, you've always wanted to have your own business. You should really get an accounting degree. Oh, wow. Okay. And I thought, Ooh, yeah. Sounds <laughs> boring, said, oh, right? Jeez. Yeah. But he said, you know, you, you, if you're going to have a business, you got to understand financial statements and you should get that, which I did. And, and that was, it paid off way big. Um, so I, when I got out of college, I wanted to start a business. And so I went to a bank and asked them for money uh, to start a sporting goods business. And uh, of course, they asked me how much money did I have? And I had, I said zero because that's why I'm here. Yeah, you don't have any yeah. money. And they said, well, then we can't give you any money. So that was, you know, lesson number one. Uh, but eventually I, you know, uh, found a partner, got an investor and was able to open a business. It took about a year. Um, after I graduated, I did finally did get a job in accounting and well, I'll just leave it at that. And then, uh, so I, I had a sporting goods business and then, and it was about eight years and I, it was a true mom and pop. I mean, eventually it was my wife and I who ran it. And I kept thinking, there's got to be something more out there. This is not my vision of owning a business. And there was a, uh, one day I came into the business. My wife had the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette at this time. And there was a picture of a guy named Don Jones who had given money to Carnegie Mellon, mm. uh, graduate, uh, the business school, to start the Don Jones Center for Entrepreneurship. And she said, you ought to go to this school. Wow. So I did. And I met Don Jones, uh, who later became a, a friend, a mentor, a board member, uh, all of that. But um, so I, I went to school at Carnegie Mellon for, uh, at that time, it was a master's in science and industrial administration. Today, it's an MBA. And um, I, I sold the sporting goods business and had a, a wife and a child. And so I ended up going part time. Uh, and I met another guy who was uh, getting into a franchise that dealt with telecommunications. Uh, he didn't want to give up his day job, so I partnered with him and did a franchise. So I went to graduate school. 
um, entrepreneurial track. This is back when the entrepreneurial track had four classes and, you know, it was all geared towards startups, particularly at Carnegie Mellon, high tech startups. You know, oh, that's stuff right. Like that. Yeah. And I, I have no creativity at all. So I went to Don Jones and I said, Don, I don't have any ideas for this class I got to take about starting a business. He said, Len, it's very simple. He said, Pittsburgh, uh, have all these people that came out of World War II with money. Uh, they started businesses. Uh, they're probably in their seventies, maybe even their eighties. Uh, find one that doesn't have a succession plan, buy the business, grow it and sell it. And I thought, wow, yeah, that's like me. That's perfect. And it's funny. I went to the entrepreneurial uh, teacher and I said, this is my project. And he said, that's not entrepreneurship. Oh. To which I said, well, you know, Don Jones, he said, yeah, I know Don. I said, Center for Entrepreneurship. I said, it was his idea. So, <laughs> so I got to do it. And I started at that time, and I really did it. I mean, I, I started to network with people that I could find businesses with. Uh, while I was in school, I found a couple of that I didn't work out. But in the end, um, that led me to finding an investor who's my partner, Jim Rudolph. And eventually, a couple of years out of graduate school, I bought uh, a business that um, reconditioned propane cylinders, wow, recertified okay. them. Okay. And that's the one had that till 2007 and sold that. Wow. Uh, and then did uh, a couple of other things. I helped, I ran a brewery, a, a microbrewery for a while, uh, worked with a guy that did um, importing from China, uh, some nice. various parts. So I got to understand that whole um, importing from China stuff. And then this became available. Sure. So I jumped in. It's interesting your plan that Don Jones suggested that I, I actually put a video out maybe a year or two ago. It's on my YouTube channel. But essentially, we're in the midst of the greatest transfer of wealth in human history. You have all these kind of older baby boomers and, and that have generated wealth through private businesses. And, you know, there's wealth in savings accounts and investment accounts. That's one. And that'll go to, you know, surviving children and relatives but they've got these businesses and they don't know what to do with Like, how do you just, you can't just liquidate a business, cash it out. You can't just hand it over to any, sometimes your kids don't want it. Sometimes you don't have children that, uh, that are equipped to do it, but there's this huge transfer and there's a, this is a problem, but it's also an opportunity. It's a problem for the owners that are trying to find, because a lot of them are lifestyle businesses, but they do very well. There's mm -hmm. equity in them. So that's interesting that, uh, that your advisor gave you that, and that's been kind of the approach you've taken over the last handful of years. Yeah. And and what's interesting, so now that's led to, I teach this at Carnegie Mellon. Oh, you do? Now. Wow. <laughs> and so everything you just said, you know, we could do a whole other program on that, <laughs> uh, because I teach entrepreneurship through acquisition. And, you know, to your point, 25% of small businesses are owned by people that are 65 or older. Yes. Yep. And so, uh, and, and in a lot of cases, they're... Um, they are, you know, lifestyle businesses, but a lot of their um, personal wealth is tied up in that business. That's right. So and they don't always want to cash out right away. Sometimes no, they want it over time. They want it over which time, which is perfect for an acquirer. And, and, and what's real interesting is, uh, and when I was doing acquisitions for Amerigas, I found this out. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, children think they're they're going to get the business. Yeah. Just get the business. Oh, it then, never works out. No. And, and I was working with a lady and she said, you know, I have to tell my, my son that I'm selling the business. You know, I'll sell it to him. Right. She said, but I can't just give it to him because this is, this is my, 
this is my retirement plan right. in this business, right. you know, and, and that was a little hairy discussion. It's, you know? it's akin to, you know, the kids wouldn't assume that when I retire, I'm going to give them the house I'm living in. Right. That's exactly right. right. They, maybe when I die, you can have it. Maybe when I, or I'm just going to sign over my 401k yeah, to you exactly. or my investments right. to you. Right. right. They don't, you're exactly right. People don't, yeah. they just don't think that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to use that in the class. Go for as a matter it. Matter of fact. That's go a for good it. point. Yeah. So. Well, this is this is a fascinating discussion, and we could go down this. I had no idea that you were teaching yeah. entrepreneurship <laughs> through acquisition at Carnegie Mellon. That's that's uh, that's kind of a near and dear to my heart. Similarly, when I was younger, I had this idea because I met someone in my twenties. We were living overseas in South Africa, but this uh, this fellow I met, he had that was his career. He would buy up distressed companies, get them healthy, strong, et cetera, and then sell them. And he had made a millions and made a career. And I was just inspired by that. I thought, wow, that's so smart. I have not fortunately, unfortunately, I've not, you know, replicated his, but the model was fascinating to me. And, and, and it's not too late. No, it's see, You can do that. If you Uncle could, Charlie started at 59. That's right. You're, yeah. you're young. I'm a kid. You're a kid. You got years left. You can <laughs> just, do that. Just don't tell my kids I'm a kid. They that's, think I'm an old man. <laughs> they wouldn't believe me. Hey, my guest today is Len Carrick. He is the president and co-owner of Uncle Charlie's Sausage. We're going to take a quick break, but I want to encourage you to check out the company. They've got a beautiful website, very evocative. They tell a great story. Just go to UncleCharlie's.com. That's U-N-C-L-E-C-H-A-R-L-E-Y-S.com. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Len on how it's been taking over this larger-than-life brand and running the company for the future. Stick around. Guys, I hope you're enjoying today's show. I've got to tell you, I really love putting this podcast together. There's something really special about meeting these business owners, hearing their stories, and then getting those stories out to you, the community that makes up the currency. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for helping me make this podcast so successful. Now, look, if you are a business owner and you're trying to scale your business, you're trying to grow, maybe introduce new products, maybe capture new markets, or just capture more share in your existing market, I'd love for you to get in touch. I'd love to help you. You know, I'm a brand and marketing strategist. I help the owners of private businesses transform their marketing from an overhead function, something that costs them money, to a revenue generating machine, something that brings money into the business. Every dollar you spend should generate exponential return. And so I love working with folks that own businesses to help them do that transformation. If that's something you think you could use some help with, let's at least have a discussion. Get in touch. Like I said, my email address is mike at mikegaston.com. You can also go to my website, mikegaston.com. There's a contact form there. But get in touch and let's get a discussion started. Now, guys, let's get back to today's show. And we're back. You're listening to The Currency. I'm Mike Gaston, and my guest today is Len Carrick, the president and co-owner of Uncle Charlie's Sausage. Len, thanks for telling us a little bit about your background. It's a fascinating story, and I think we both agree we could keep talking about this. But I really want to get to this, um, what I am in assuming is a challenge, and maybe it's been easy. Uh, and now I'm even thinking more so because you didn't come from a food background. A lot of people think, well, you, you have to have experience in whatever industry, and I think you would probably attest that a lot of the skill sets that you have in entrepreneurship are transferable across yes. multiple types of yes. businesses. 
What's it been like to come into a company branded by the founder's name, the founder's faces on the label? He has this big personality. What was it like to take that over? Uh, it's great that he gave you the room and the grace to kind of do your own thing, but you still have a, 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 a company full of people. You have a culture. You have customers, consumer expectations. I'll just leave it wide open. What was that like for you to, for, on day one? Well, it was, it was, you know, day one is always interesting. You know, there's so many things that are going on and, and you have this buildup, uh, you know, where you're getting to day one. And what I mean by that is going through the process of buying and, and, and doing this several times and also working in, in, uh, uh, corporate development, buying companies, there, there's always this buildup and, and that's why I can equate it to, it's like a, it's like getting married. So, you know, you start out with the owner, um, you start to get to know one another. And, and that's certainly a critical part. I mean, these small businesses where the owner's there, their name's on the building, um, you know, they, they want to get comfortable with the person they're selling to. So you do this sort of dance for a while, uh, you know, sort of like dating. And then eventually you get to a letter of intent, which I say is sort of like an engagement. And you're building to the closing, which is the wedding. And then you get there and it's just like a wedding. You know, the next day you're married. Sure. So the next day you have the business now. So that's all over. Do you mind me just asking you to back up? Some listeners might not know what a letter of intent is. Anyone on the acquisition probably does. But just explain that a little bit because I think that's an important part of the process. Yeah, that's a very important part of the process. That's when you've looked at the business, you got a valuation on the business, you're ready to move forward. So you send a letter of intent basically stating, here's what we're going to do. We want to buy the business for X amount of dollars. Here's going to be the terms of the deal, uh, you know, as far as how the money moves, what we're buying, et cetera, et cetera, like that. And then the, if the owner signs that, uh, then part of what that means is that they're going to take the business off the market. They're not going to talk to anybody else. They're going to give you a period of due diligence time so you can really dig into finding out whether you want the business or not. I mean, a letter of intent is non-binding. But it, it sort of sets the stage. It's sort of like an engagement. You yeah. Know, it's non-binding yeah. too. You know, you're, you're, you wouldn't saying. accept an engagement from three different suitors. Exactly. Right. You're going to no, know, I'm choosing the word. It's going to be us. One and we're going to yeah. work on this and we're going to see if we get through these next several months or but years. We're not or, married. So if, if you it, find out that I'm a horrible person. Goodbye. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So you have that opportunity. I find out you're a bad cook. It's all over. <laughs> it's all over. That's <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Uh, so, so, you know, that whole process and then, and then, you know, it's, it's then you, then you have the business. Sure. So, and, and I remind people of that, you know, they always say, I want to buy a business and, and the, the buildup is exciting. You know I mean? It's like, uh, are we going to get it? We're not going to get it. We're going to find something bad. We're not going to find something bad. You know, I mean, it's that whole excitement and then you got it, you yeah. know, and now, now comes the real work you know, as far as what you're going to do with it. So, uh, you know, once I was here, I, and what I advise most people to do is, or anybody, including students, is you really don't want to do anything different when you get there. You know, it's a very, it's a critical time uh, for the business because uh, the employees immediately, everybody thinks bad. Well, change, human beings just don't yes, like change, they, right? It's just a psychological, not. we have physio- physiological reactions to it. Yes, it's you're upsetting. exactly right. It's yeah. upsetting. Yeah. So, you know, and I always tell people, you know, there's uh, people don't like change. You're change. They don't like you. You're, you're change. You're change personified. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and you're dealing with their livelihood. 
You know, I mean, this is so. So now I'm just talking about employees. So now you're dealing with their livelihood, and they're and they're nervous. They think they think you're a mean person. You're going to come in and fire everybody. Um, you know, and I think Charlie thought about that with with having an outside, um, you know, large strategic behind it. That you know, maybe they would do that, mm-hmm. even though everybody says no, 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 we won't. Oh, they, yeah, yeah. But who knows? Well, there's know? the, there's a reason people use the phrase. It's it's. It's only business. It's strictly business. It's a business decision, not personal. Right. It's not personal. I made the commitment to you today, but five months down the road, hey, I had to make a business decision. And and, and so, you know, we shut the plant down <laughs> yeah. and fired all the workers. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. And it's like, well, wait a minute. But so, so everybody's nervous. Uh, customers, not as much, but they're nervous too. I mean, the first thing we heard was that um, the customers figured we were going to raise prices and decrease the quality. Okay. And one thing Charlie did is he, he maintained a very, very, very high quality product and would not budge from that. Mm-hmm. And, and that cost him business in some places because it's, you know, we're not the least expensive. Actually, in most cases, we're the most expensive. And, and, and that's because we have a very, very high quality product. So, um, you know, the, the customer's reaction was, well, you know, these guys are going to come in, they're going to, you know, start making changes and not tell us. And I, so that's the buzz we're hearing from customers. So now you got all these people that are nervous. So the best thing to do is come in and just observe, ask a lot of questions and don't do really anything different for a while. How long did you do that for a period of months? It was, uh, about six months. Okay. Before we really did anything radically different. I think some folks, their kind of intuition or their MO is to come in and let everybody know, I've got all this vision. I'm going to change. Like, yeah. They want to impress right. everybody right. with, hey, I'm a leader. And here we go. Yeah. You know, and yeah. we're going to forget. But, you know, uh, this company was built on a heritage. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard to just, like, throw that aside and think you're better. I right. Mean, that's it. I, right. I'm not better. I, <laughs> I I couldn't know how to start a sausage company. <laughs> I have made sausage a few times, though. But oh, really? Yeah. You know, just... Little meat grinder and some casings back home. Yeah, uh, fun stuff, but um, a lot of work. And it's got to be cold. I've, I realize that you it, you want to keep that fat nice and cold. You don't yes. want it to get too warm. But yes, yeah, so if I could just divert for a minute, please do. I think this is let's fair. talk. Let's talk shop. Let's talk shop. So um, you know, we, we have what's called a HACCP plan. That's the USDA. We have a USDA inspector on site all day. I oh mean, wow! So that here's one thing I found out. We did we did due diligence. On the business, and what I what came out of due diligence, aside the information I learned about the business, is that the United States truly has the safest food system in the, in the world. Hmm. I mean, particularly in meats. I mean, the USDA. We have a an inspector here that's here all the time, um, but that's that's not a problem for me. I mean, they you know they make sure we do everything right, and that's good. You know, because I eat other meat you know, from other places. And I want to make sure that they're doing it right too. But, um, so the number one, uh, what we call critical point is, is temperature, which you said. So we, we keep the plant uh, below 40 degrees. It's basically 35 degrees at all times. Wow. So, so where I need to divert a minute is when I first got in the industry, everybody's like, well, you're an outsider, you know, who are you? And I was interviewed by one of the meat magazines and, um, uh, I, I, I said, well, I said, I can tell you that my, my dad was a meat cutter for A&P 
for like 30 years. Wow. So I have some, some cred here, you know, and, uh, but, but what I learned very quickly once I was here with 35, 36 degree temperature is when I was growing up, my dad was a meat cutter for AMP and on, and, and on his day off, he would, he would always be outside. He'd be, you know, washing the car, cutting the grass. We had the nicest yard in the, in, I guess today it's called a lawn. We had the nicest yard in the, in the neighborhood. The cars were always clean. He was always outside. We went to the beach. We had to be on the beach at seven o'clock. No umbrella. We stayed till four o'clock. We <laughs> he wanted to soak up as much he, as he, he could. And, and it finally dawned on me. The poor guy was in 35 degree temperature all week. He's in a meat locker. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. with no windows. So all he wanted to do was just soak up that sun as sure. much as he possibly could. So I, I have a different feeling for why oh, we spend fantastic. all our time at the beach, but. So that was my lineage there. Um, but it was, uh, so, so we waited for a while, but the big, the first thing we did, um, and I knew this when we did due diligence is we needed to get, uh, certified in SQF, which is safe quality foods. So there's, uh, a global push, uh, global food safety initiative. That's what it's called. GFSI, uh, to get all food companies operating, it's basically under similar standards to like ISO. So it's like write down what you're going to do, do what you're doing or mm-hmm. do what you said you're going to write or what you wrote down and recording it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically what yeah, it is. Like so ISO. they've done this in the food industry it's, and it's called safe quality foods. You get SQF certified and the national uh, retailers are starting to demand it. Most small companies got a pass for a while, but in the due diligence, we found that more and more, we were going to lose that pass because a lot of small companies are going away. So they're all larger companies and you're competing with larger companies and they're going to be safe quality food uh, certified. And I don't, we didn't want to be in a position where uh, Walmart or giant Eagle, which is a local grocer, larger local grocer, or, uh, you know, one of these uh, big groups would say to us, well, you know, we really like you and you have a great brand, but you know, Johnsonville is SQF certified and we got to be careful. Sure. You know? So, sure. so the number one mission was to get that. And that's not, uh, that's not an upsetting thing to anybody. It's it, it, to your point earlier, people could see that as something good is moving mm. forward. Mm. So, um, that was like job one. And my goal was to get done in the first year. Mostly it takes 18 to 24 months to get done. And I was fortunate that. At my other business, I had a great operations guy who got me through ISO 9001. And so I recruited him over to come work with me again. And he came. And he has no meat background. So he came in really as a maintenance guy uh, because that's re- he's really good at that as well. And I said, your mission is to get us certified by the end of the year. So he said, okay. I said, don't worry about operations at this point. But at some point, you know, you're going to run operations because I had the confidence in him from the other business. But I said, just take the first, you know, till the end of this year. At that time, it was nine months. I said, just get us uh, qualified for this. And he did by November. So we made that as our first big move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're successful by November of getting SQF certified. And we've been able to maintain that. The second thing we did, now this goes into marketing, is that we really wanted to uh, refresh the brand. Um, you know, Charlie started in 1989. 
the labeling, the 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 image of the company had kind of s- stagnated, sure. if you will. Yeah. yeah, and there were a lot of cues as far as 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 the stagnation, and and everybody else was moving at this time. You know, so we wanted to make sure that we could play, you know, with the national brands and. Um, we also were at that time, Charlie had a little bit of a foothold in Eastern Ohio, and we saw that as an opportunity to grow. Uh, so we wanted to be able to take the brand beyond the personality. You know, one of the things we wanted to do was is, is kind of bring the brand back, bring it up to life and understanding that, you know, people knew, uh, you know, knew Charlie, the, the company had been around for 25 some years now. Um, they know that Charlie's not around. I mean, it was in the press that Charlie's no longer here and all that stuff. So we had to make the shift without losing the heritage. And so, uh, you know, uh, I hired uh, a company to help us with that. And the woman who worked with us, Andrea Fitting, is a great marketing person in Pittsburgh. You know, I explained to her that we don't want to lose the heritage, but we want to refresh the brand and we want it to reflect the premium quality that it is. Because the, the way everybody, the way we found out that the, you know, the way the labeling was done, um, I mean, the website had, had not been updated for years. I mean, the last post on it was, you know, like 2008 or something, sure. 2010 yeah. or something like that. I mean, it was just one of those things that. Uh, tired. And, yeah, it was tired. And, and Charlie was the first to admit, uh, you know, I met the person that helped him with marketing. Charlie was the first to admit that, you know, he didn't spend money there. And and he didn't see the importance of that. Now he spent money on TV, mm-hmm. which was fine because mm-hmm. that got everybody to remember Uncle Charlie. So that was good. So we wanted to make this transition, and the way we did it is through a website and and the labeling. Mm-hmm. And so now that caused some some excitement here at Uncle Charlie's when we were going to change the label because the label had been around for so long. Uh, but some of the cues from it were that. You know, the label was bright yellow with red trim. And, you know, uh, everybody said, well, that, that denotes uh, low quality. And not to pick on anybody, but I will anyways. But if you think about McDonald's and some other companies. Even Oscar Mayer. Oscar you Mayer. Know, which is a big consumer brand, but I don't think of it as high end. No, you don't think of it as high end. So yellow red generally means, you know, it's value. Ball, it's ballpark. I'm yeah. getting a hot dog at the ballpark. That's exactly right. It's a value brand. And so we had to get away from that. So there were all these things, you know, everybody was moving away from white meat trays. I mean, you know, back then everybody used white meat trays in 89. Well, now they could do colors and everybody was moving. And you're talking about the styrofoam that the, the meat's packed in. The styrofoam that the meat's packed in, right. Yeah. So, so, you know, we're, we spent time, like, looking at it and saying, okay, we got to make a move. And so, um, you know, working with Andrea, we came up with... Uh, you know, a couple of different designs. But the one that, that resonated with us from a heritage standpoint was to have a person on it. Now, we do have a person on the label. It is not Charlie. Oh, you're kidding me. No, no, so I look at I just assume that's Uncle Charlie. Assumes it's and maybe Charlie. I'm supposed to. And you are. Because the, the, the thought process, and you're a marketing person and you could grade us on this, but the idea was to, to, was to, create, was to create an Uncle Charlie. You know, it was, okay, you're moving into a new area, Cleveland. They don't know Charlie Armitage. Uh, people have grown up on Uncle Charlie's, but, you know, the ads are old. Nobody remembers Uncle Charlie. They just know the brand. Right. So it was like, how do we create a personality for the brand? 
And, and so I went to Charlie and I said, Charlie, we're going to put a label, we're going to put face. And I said, we would like to put you on the label as a, as a sort of a tribute to your heritage sure. that you started. He said, absolutely not. <laughs> Tell and me I why. Said, and I said, well, Charlie, I said, you know, this is like, you know, we, we want to be fair to you and everything. He said, Len, it's not my company anymore. It's yours. And I said, well, I can't be on there. You know, he said, well, he said, I'm not going to be on there because it's not my company anymore. And I said, well, but we want to retain your, I mean, we went back and forth over lunch and he just kept saying no. And he wasn't against the, the, the concept. He just did not want to be. You didn't want his mug on there. He didn't want his mug on there. So we, we, we created, and and it was done through, uh, I mean, that is technically not a real person. I mean, it was, it was, you know, the marketing people took stuff. That was like, I guess, clip art for lack of a better word, yeah, and push things around. Stock, stock illustration. Stock they modified it. Modified it. And, and I encourage folks, please check out the website. I'll just again, it's UncleCharlie's UncleCharlie's.com. I'll put a link in the show notes, but you can see the logo there, the brand. And I, I might pull. I'll also try to post an image of it in the show notes. If you go to the the website. Uh, MikeGaston.com, and then just find the episode uh, post. You'll see it there. But go to the website. You'll see it's actually it's this kind of kindly looking, smiling gentleman. He's balding. It looks like in the photo. Yes. So you just assume this is a grandpa or an uncle. Yeah, yeah. That was the intent was to get this. You know, this wise uncle. Uh, even even his uh, his, the, his body and everything was to be like a person you could trust. You know, this is a person who's. He's you a know, good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. It's your uncle that makes sausage, and and it's just a, you know everything's good about it. And he looks, it, uh, you know, forgive me as a New Yorker, I'm just saying, he looks like <laughs> a good, hardworking, honest Pennsylvanian. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, just thanks. Like That's clear, what we were going for. Kind just, of big smile on his face, generous. But you look at him, you think this guy knows how to work a good day. Yes, he's not just sitting around the grill all day. He's he's a hard worker. He's a hard worker. He's not, uh, and he's not a, a polished business person. He's he's just a, a like you said, a hard worker that makes good sausage. So so let, let me just divert for a second here. Let's sure. talk about the brand. It's not really a diversion, but from the story, what. What are the elements? What are the what's the promise that you think Ch- Uncle Charlie's makes to its consumers? What's the core of the brand? So the core of the brand is that we provide a very high quality sausage. So what does that mean? The thing it means is that we have we have the lowest uh, fat content of any sausage on the market. I mean, I will I, I can attest to that. I mean, we've tested a lot, but we we just have very very low fat and and fat. You know, traditionally sausage, when it, if you go way, way, way back, you know, it was, it was all of the trimmings. It was the yeah, leftover sure. stuff that you put it through and mostly a lot of fat. And, and, you know, some people will say, including me, that, you know, fat too does have a flavor profile. I mean, it adds flavor. But, um, you know, if you cook our sausage, I mean, people, people write us and say, you know, I love your sausage. And, and, you know, sometimes I have to put a little bit of oil in the pan to fry it because there's no, there's no fat. So it's a very, very lean product. So you're getting, uh, meat, you know, you're getting a, a a very, when you bite into it, it, it's all meat, um, which is good. Charlie did a great job on the, on the flavor mix. Um, Western Pennsylvania is big on hot sausage. Hot Italian sausage is, is, is big in Western Pennsylvania. And, uh, but, but his, his flavor profile is not too hot. It, it, it's, it's, it's like, right. It's like just right. So it's not trying to prove anything. It just gives you a little zip, makes it enjoyable, but it's not trying to, to, 
break break the eater to prove right it's not yeah. the, you know we have atomic you know yeah. sausage or anything i mean it's just it's it's a it's a very it's a gentle hot that's like you said it's not proving anything to anybody it's just that's what it is and and uh so it's it's just the top quality product in in that way so our promise to everybody is that especially when we took the business over is we're not going to mess with that formula mm. and we're not going to uh reduce the price uh to or or cheapen the product by reducing the price to sell more. Okay. It's like, you know, we we were and and part of the label uh when we were changing the label was that we wanted it to reflect the quality of the product. So, you know, when we talked with the marketing folks, it was uh you got to get rid of the white trays. I mean, that's 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 old, that's cheap. Uh, that's what butchers use. Okay, so we got we went to black trays and black. Of course, black gives a lot of premium. The premium, yeah, right. You always think of black as the as the premium thing. Johnny so. Walker Black. I mean, it, yeah, it, it right. It, yeah. it's up. It's the up one. So top yeah. shelf yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's, you know, it's black limousines. It's black you know, tuxedo, black, black tie. You know, yeah. it's all that. So. Yeah. So we, we went around that idea uh, of doing that. And, and the idea, one of the other things that uh, I thought was an interesting selling point was uh, Andrea had statistics on, on uh, if, you put a, a, a char- if you put a person or a character on a label, that people are drawn to the label because of the eyes. Mm-hmm. And the, the article she gave me, uh, which was this, talked about this was, uh, having, having a, uh, some sort of figure on it. And I say figure because the example was the Trix rabbit on the Trix, uh, cereal box. And that, you know, they've done studies that say people will go to that because they see those, they're, they're silly eyes. I don't even think they're attached, but they go to that. You know, Tony Tiger, he has eyes. You know, so there were all these examples of consumer packaged goods. That where there's a face on it, and those are sometimes the leading brands. And so the tie-in between we wanted to pull in the heritage, we wanted to, uh, you know, talk, you know, give this a personality because it is called Uncle Charlie's. It's not a, a, a generic name or a name that wouldn't reflect a person. So, we, you know, and, and eyes. So you put that all together, and, and this is how we came up with putting a, putting a character on, on the label. I think it's really successful. You know, if you talk about the brand being differentiated and being uh, premium, mm-hmm. uh, high quality and honest at the same time, you know, if you had a product, if you had a brand that just had Uncle Charlie's on it with no tie into a person, just the name, it could almost come off mom and pop. And especially with the red and the, the yellow, yes. I mean, I'm with you, I'm tracking with that. So to give it elements of of um, premium, the black, some of the coloring you've modified. So now the the brand, the logo is black and red and white. Yes, and you know the the inclusion of Charlie, the, even the style. I mean, you could have more of a cartoonish looking face, or but I think that the way it was incorporated, the whole package together communicates a level of premium, but at the same time keeps it. Honest. I mean, let's face it. Sausages are kind of a, a great working class food. You don't go yes. to a, a Michelin five star <laughs> to get sausage unless, you know, it's like this some bizarre, you know, right. rare made with the meat of uh, a rare animal or something. I don't know. So you're balancing, I think, this this honest backyard throw it on the fire with high quality. And I think you've pulled it off quite well in, well, in the logo and the brand. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was, uh, it was exciting to do that. It mm-hmm. was exciting to, to take it through those paces like that. And then of course, uh, 
you know, <laughs> these are all great ideas. And then the execution comes next. Oh, it's always the execution. The implementation well, is the that's, toughest. That's yeah. the toughest part because now, you know, people are, are used to walking by and grabbing the yellow and red, you know, Uncle Charlie's sausage. Yeah, it just has a, a picture. It's funny. They t I asked Charlie where he got the pictures for the because it, you know, it had sausage pictures on it or sausage recipes on it, if if you will. And, and and they were they weren't very good pictures, but he he told me, oh yeah, he said I think Chaz pulled those off the internet somewhere. They're just clip art, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. and he looked it. So, yeah. but but that's what people were used to going to find. So now we had to, to you know, we're we're deep into this, and and you know, it's one of those things. You think that because you're thinking about it. That through osmosis, everybody else gets it. I've been guilty of that. Yeah, because yeah. you're living. It's you, it's consuming it, it, it's you. It's consuming you, and it must be obvious, right? Yeah, it must yeah. be obvious. That this is this is our new label. Well, you know, you should be looking for it. We've been working on it for you know eight months. Come on. Yeah. Well, no, they weren't. You know, so we had to think. At it, really, I mean, it got down to we're ready to launch, and we had to think. Okay, how do we make this transition? So we worked on, uh, you know, point of sale material that showed the old label, the new label. We worked on, we worked very heavily on, on getting the word out to consumers that this change was being made. We did get some, uh, press locally in the newspapers, which was helpful. I mean, so, so the last probably 60, maybe almost 90 days was geared towards, okay, we gotta, we gotta prepare the consumers that we're making this change and we gotta, we gotta gradually bring this in. And, and, uh, get them to recognize that this is the new label. This is what we look like now. And so, um, you know, if you look at, if you look at the sales volumes and everything, it seemed to work. I mean, it, that was going to be my question. Did you see a drop or? We saw a slight drop. And, okay. and, 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 you know, and of course we had, uh, we had some legacy salespeople that were against this from the beginning. So they started telling the anecdotal stories uh, about the woman who was standing next to me said, I can't find Uncle Charlie's. I heard that story, you know, 17 million times as if it was 17 different women. Right, it was really right. the same story or the same woman, you know. And so when I look at uh, the sales volume, when you look at when we made the change, which was early 2015, you know, 15 was a pretty good year for us and 16 was a very good year for us. So, you know, people caught on to it and, and I, and truly the, the, what was very exciting is that when we went into the large retailers, when we talked, when we showed it to Walmart, when we, when we showed it to Giant Eagle, when we showed it to these, uh, to buyers, who are who who are dealing with this all the time and fighting for shelf space is a it's a oh, ground war. I mean, it's it is hand to hand war. combat. It yeah. is, and and the reaction we got from all of the buyers was, "Wow, this is great!" You know, it's about time. Yeah, you know, this is something we've always been concerned about. So, the people, if I will, in the know, understood that this shift was necessary, and 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 they got behind it. I mean, so. So from that standpoint, it really, really worked. Um, you know, I, I think we, we were to your, and I appreciate your recognizing, you know, we were able to capture that, that heritage, but at the same time, bring it up in, into the quality. Because like I said, in, when we're in a case, we're not the least expensive. Right. Sometimes we're the most expensive. And thank goodness Johnsonville's out there. So that helps us. <laughs> um, so, you know, 
I, you know, overall, it just seemed to be that it, it, it worked. It was like yeah. there was a lot of, you know, gnashing of teeth and things like that sure. as we introduced it. But, and there were some people that said, wow, you know, it was hard to find it. But, but, but the consumers reacted. They found it. And they adapted. And- they adapted. And, and we, uh, we got good support from the retailers, uh, which was good. You know, I people don't realize also that, especially in the retail world, but I think this is true in any business. Your competitors are typically trying to figure out things as well. And let's say you stayed with the older label just because you didn't want to upset the apple cart too much, and salespeople are giving this anecdotal pushback. And so you say, "Well, let's wait longer." Well, what if a competitor came with a upgraded package that buyers can say, "You know, I like yours. Let's we're going to give you more space." You know, and we love Uncle Charlie's, but. But they're kind of tired and tired. Exactly. You know, it's still expensive, but they don't look like an expensive brand. And those discussions happen all the time. The next thing you know, you're you're out of luck because getting that getting that shelf space is tough. It's hard work, I think. And so you've got to keep it once you have it. And, you know, what what was probably one of the 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 greatest uh, validation of this is uh, and and I'm certainly not going to mention a competitor's name. Okay. But uh, we have a competitor that has pushed when we when we got into the business in 2014, there was a competitor that was kind of pushing in to Western now Pennsylvania. Is, is this a, a national competitor no, or a regional this is a regional okay. from a different region? Okay. okay, fair enough. So they think they can you know launch into the Pittsburgh market through one of the warehouses locally, through one of the independent grocer chains. Okay, that's all I'm giving you. All right, okay. I, I'll try not to I'll, I'll control myself. <laughs> okay, <laughs> who had white trays and a red and yellow label? Okay, so we come out with our new label within, I, I don't think it was within a year, but within probably 15 months, they totally revamped their packaging <laughs> and, and pretty much copied a lot. They didn't put a face, okay, but they, they copied a lot of what we did. Is this Aunt Mabel's sausage? Or? <laughs> you figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> but it was funny. So, so what do they say? Imitation is... Highest form of flattery. flattery right. Yeah. So, so we've noticed that, you know, and some other uh, regional people have done the same thing. Uh, and it's funny, you know, I, I got it... When I, because I move in industries, you know, I was in sporting goods, telecommunications, uh, propane cylinders, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things. When I move in these industries... One of the things I do is, is attempt to get involved in the organizations, the trade groups. Sure. And because you learn a lot and you make friends and, you know, we're all in this together and we might be competitors, but at the same time, we all fight the same fights and, you know. Um, and, and, and so I've, I've gotten into a regional uh, group, the Eastern Meat Packers Association, and also the national group, which is the North American Meat Institute. And got to know some people. And it's funny because I've seen some other uh, brands where it is third generation or fourth generation. The owner is probably in their late 60s or 70s. And they haven't changed. And, you know, their complaints are things are, are not, you know, they're, they're struggling or they're, they're having problems with distribution or grocers are giving them a hard time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and it and it plays to exactly what you were saying is that you know you, you got to keep moving you know and if if the if the market's changing or, or even if it's not changing you got to change I mean you you know um, uh, successful restaurants always redo themselves after five to seven years or you know I mean there you know yeah. you see um, 
the fat Wendy's, they'll knock a building down and be shut down for 30 or 45 days to put up a new look just yeah. because they have to. They can't look the way they used to. Well, what I like about the story I'm hearing from you, not that you intended to tell this, but what I'm hearing is, yeah, you're comfortable making changes, but you're not reacting. So I'm, I, I'm assuming. Right. You're looking out there. So with the... Um, the safe food, what's it, the S- SQF, safe SQF. quality foods. Right. So you looked out ahead and said, I think this is going to be an issue for us down the road. Some people could say, well, let's wait. Let's kind of get our ducks in a row and let's see what happens. A lot of companies do that. Yes. And then and then they do something when they're forced to or kicking and screaming. Now, now we're playing catch up. So, you, you know, you and your partner looked and said, we need to do this. So you're investing in the future the label, the same thing. You probably could have kept going with that label and focused on, oh, well, yeah. we want to get more distribution. I, you know, you, you could have driven the sales team and had other focuses, uh, but it seems like you're able to see maybe not 30 years down the road, but far enough to say, we need to invest now so that we can kind of get a jump. You know, it, it, you're, you're, you, you, the SQF part you talked about, you're dead on. You know, that was something that I, I, I got a, a, just a, like a smattering of when we were doing due diligence and I focused on it. And I, and, and what you said is so true. When I think of certain friends of mine who are in a meat business, who are in a sausage business <laughs> that are, you know, uh, older, it's third or fourth generation and, and, and the discussions I've had with them around SQF. I mean, they were like, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm holding out as long as I yeah. can. Yeah. I got a call from a friend of mine and he's like, you know, um, giant, which is a, uh, part of our hold there out East. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, he called me and he said, you know, they're forcing me. I got to get this SQF done. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to do it. You know, I mean, it was all of that kicking and screaming, exactly kicking and screaming. And, and they did it because they had to, I, I see this a lot in highly regulated industries. I have a client who's in the, uh, who's in the long-term care nursing home industry, also highly regulated. And what he, he's similar to you in that he doesn't wait till he's forced to do something. To him, like the regulations are cost of entry. He's always looking, what can we do that's beyond? So for instance, if you think about technology these days and you can have cameras in rooms and you can keep an eye on your dog while you're off at work, well, there's some movement to try to have that happen in the long-term care industry. Most of his industry is saying, we've got to fight this. The last thing we want are cameras in these rooms. And, you know, I don't know what his plans are, but he's much more open-minded saying, well, this might be a good thing. We should explore yes. it. And that's, I just appreciate that kind of attitude, but you don't see that mindset often in highly regulated yeah, industries. I, I agree with you. You're exactly right. Everybody wants to keep it as it is. And, and, it, and it does make you better. I mean, safe quality foods, that practice has made us better. Right. And and I have to just throw this out because Phil Conti, who's our vice president of operations, who I brought from the other business, who I love dearly, and has he's just a great guy. He's amazing. Um, you know, he he not only got us in SQF, and it's all digital. Everything is you know most people do everything by files, and 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 we get auditors who come in once a year, and they're amazed that they could sit in a room and look at a screen. And, and go through all of our stuff as opposed to us. Well, we'll, we'll be right back and go out and get a box and come in and drop a, you know, giant legal size, you know, <laughs> right. big box. Say, well, there you go. Now I we're going to play this antic antagonistic game. I'm going to make exactly. you dig through the yeah, box here, and get you, you out of here. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I mean, the first auditor we had in, um, this is our initial audit. I, I mean, he, he blocked off, I think three days and, uh, 
when he came in, he was gone in a day and a half. Yeah. And, you know, at the we have a closing meeting with the auditors. And Phil does it all. And I come in to certain meetings. And I came to the closing meeting. And he was like, I've never seen anything like this in a small company. Now, I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on Phil. Because he, you know, that's what he said to me when we started. He said, I'm going to put this. It's going to be all digital. It's going to be click. And things will pop up. And I you know, this guy said, I plan to be here three days. He said, I just had to sit in here and everything was right there. And he said, I'm leaving. He said, you guys are great. Sure. This is fantastic. I, I really appreciate, you know, I came in not assuming, but thinking, what was it like to to take on this heritage brand, not be Uncle Charlie's relative? And it sounds like you've been able to both preserve the main elements of it, pay honor to Charlie, but at the same time, move the company forward. And I think that's uh, I think that takes some skill. What has been the thing that you're most proud of here in the last six years as you come up to your anniversary? Wow, that's a that's a big question. I'd have to think really long and hard. I don't know if I could pick just one. I, I mean, I I think that um, there, there's numerous ones. The the fact that we got safe quality foods in less than a year. Um, that you know we have been able to we have been able to uh, penetrate into Ohio. Uh, with our brand and and it's been slow i was certainly slower than you'd want it to be but we're making great strides with that um you know the fact that you know we're 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 moving forward when so many small regional uh meat companies are struggling i think is very very important that that um you know that we've increased you know when i came here i think i was the 41st employee uh, we have 59 employees now okay um, so, you know, there's, it's just been, uh, it's been a great ride and there's been a lot of, lot of wins that, uh, you know, a lot of times you get lucky on things. Those are always exciting wins. <laughs> you know, you think you're going one direction and it ends up going a different direction, well, but I, that's fun too. I've had know? a, I had a sales manager and this is uh, when I was a young guy, this is kind of proven true. It's he used to say, it's amazing how lucky you are when you're working hard and it works even today. It's a, I might work really hard on something the breakthrough may not come there. It comes somewhere else. But when I'm not working hard, no luck happens. Yeah, nothing happens. Yeah, yeah. there was I, – I, I'm not too good with quotes. But there was something about that, you know, something is luck when it smacks into hard work or something. Or luck okay. is – I don't know. It's yeah. one of those kind of things. That same that same sales manager, I just should point out, <laughs> he was brutal. And uh, sometimes I'd win an account that I was very proud of and he'd say – Michael, a dog with a note in his mouth could have closed that deal. <laughs> Essentially, he was one of those, that's great, but what have you done for me today? He yeah, wants you back out just there. Just get back out there and do some more. But but you guys have had a little bit of luck come your way. and Oh, yeah. What, but, what would you attribute? Like you said that you know we're kind of thriving when other small regional meat companies might be struggling. We've talked about the brand. We've talked about the SQF and some of that stuff. Is there something else going on here that you would attribute, that you would add to that attributes to that success? Oh, sure. I, I got I got some really great people here. I, I, you know, I have three people that are running you know, sales operations and finance that are just great. I, you know, I have two. That, Did you inherit them? No, I brought two with me from the other business. So Phil, he was our uh, operations guy at the cylinder reconditioning plant. Charlie was our CFO. So we do have a Charlie here, by the way. We, okay. We, I said, Charlie, you have to come work here because I don't have a Charlie. And we're okay. Uncle Charlie. Uh, and he was our finance guy there. And then I went out and uh, I was very fortunate to get a really, really good sales guy, a guy who'd worked in uh, uh, consumer products before. His name's Paul Baranek. 
who just is really good. I, I mean, so I'm very, that's, that's where you get really fortunate is when you have, uh, you know, you put together a team. I, that's probably, now that you mention it, that would probably be my biggest success is the ability to put together a, a very, very strong team because, uh, you know, there's a lot of interaction. There's a lot of, uh, you know, pushing and pulling between everybody, but everybody, uh, you know, gets along. They, they, they fight hard for their division or their area. But, you know, in the end, they all know what the goal is. And, and just having, and watching that and, and having that work is just, it's thrilling. I mean, that's, so I think that's probably it, you know, and, and I was very fortunate to have a bench. <laughs> I always mm. tease Charlie and Phil that I got a bench, you know, I, they were very good at the last place. And, you know, when you get to the point where you, you have those people that when you move on, you can bring them with you. It's like the, you know, the coaches in, in sports, sure. you know, they go to they, a big team, they bring their, they bring their, their group with them, yeah. you know, and, 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 and you're a known entity, you know, I, you know, I know what, I know how to work with Phil. I know how to work with Charlie. Um, I'm not sure Phil and Charlie still work well together, but that's okay. They, they, I a little tension on a team is oh good for God. the energy it is sometimes. good for the energy. It's just perfect. You know, <laughs> so and we always tease Charlie. That's his job to be that sort of that thing that goes on your shoulder. And, and he's the finance guy. He's yeah. the finance guy. Yeah. So he's always questioning and that's good. And so having, and, and that and that's it you know it's it's the, the, each person takes their uh, uh, their little group as that's that's what's serious to them and they're gonna fight for that group and they're gonna fight about that and 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 between the three of them they'll do that and in the end it all works and that's 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 just wonderful to watch my guest today is Len Carrick he's the president and co-owner of Uncle Charlie's sausage Len thank you so much for joining me today oh thank you for having me I this was fun. That's a lot of fun. I, I think we could talk for hours. Uh, <laughs> I think we could. Guys, do me a favor and check out Len's company. Fantastic business. I think you'll love the brand. Even if you're not living in the Pittsburgh area, if you're if you're miles or continents away, I think you'll appreciate the story that they tell on their site and the brand. You can learn more about them at UncleCharlie's.com. A link in the show notes. You know, the company's also pretty active on Facebook and Instagram, so you can check them out there as well and interact a little bit. Also, if you have not done so already, already, please subscribe to this podcast. You can find The Currency on anywhere that fine podcasts are provided, Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all the top shelf podcast uh, platforms in the world. Guys, thanks so much for your time. I love you all, and I'll catch you in the next episode.